Wonder Thing Studios proudly presents Archivos Brainstorms, episode 113. Archivos Podcast Network. I'm Marie Bilodeau. And I'm Dave Robison. And you're listening to Archivos Brainstorms. Oh, yeah. On Archivos Brainstorms, we invite writers to pitch a story idea to us and <laughs> our esteemed guest host. <laughs> and then we dive in, exploring every nook and cranny of the story temple, testing its columns, checking for good hymnal acoustics and sacrificial altars, hoping to transform the raw idea into a tithe-worthy establishment, or literary gold. Literary gold, or a tithe-worthy establishment. <laughs> and really, those sacrificial altars are so very important. In they the, in are. The... you got to get the flow of blood just right, you know? <laughs> Stephen King would agree, you got to kill those darlings, and where are you going to kill your darlings on the sacrificial altar by god <laughs> oh god marie I, I must i must declare proudly and publicly what a delight it is to have you as a co-host on this show it's it's never a dull moment that, right back at you i still can't believe we're doing this together i am loving this thank you so much <laughs> oh my singular pleasure and let's continue the delight let's continue to keep that that good vibe going welcome back our our guest host dear friends from a fabulous archivos insights of just seven days ago wow the conversation flowed it was delightful there were new words <laughs> there were they were so cool delightoplectic wonderful delightful words dear friends please welcome back to the big chair here at the archivos podcast network virtual studios Alyssa helms uh Alyssa, thank you so much for making the time to to speak with us and to to launch into a brainstorm i am honestly quite delighted at the prospect of going into the brainstorming arena with you ma'am thank you so much for making the time thank you so much for having me this has been great fun and so <laughs> i anticipate more fun indeed <laughs> yeah. and there, there's in, in all good narrative arcs we increase the stakes we increase the drama <laughs> that's how we do it here at the archivos podcast network absolutely but before yeah, we do, <laughs> Alyssa, I got to ask you, um, uh, you know, Dragons of Heaven and the Conclave of Shadows is out in the world. You're, you're continuing your writing mojo. You, you confessed to us with an insider reveal about you and Marie Brennan brainstorming a tale, which is intriguing as all heck. Uh, tell us what's coming up in the world of Alyssa Helms. <laughs> well, I, I do want to say that, that Marie and I, this is definitely like backburner noodling because she's sure. got like three ideas on the table before that and I've got um, I have a a novel chiaroscuro that I am working on that I think I mentioned yes uh, I am deep, deep, deep in revision on that one because it clocks in at 250,000 words. Which wow. <laughs> Whoa! Wow. Yeah, that. I see a um, red pen in your future, ma'am. Yeah, and and my, my agent is very excited about it. And he, he had said that he's got a uh, several editors who are interested in looking at it. But I'm trying to figure out a way to break it apart into either two or three pieces. And so it, a lot ah. of it comes again down to structure and how to make the, the stakes that work for a 250. 50,000 word novel, break it apart into the three acts. Luckily, I made it three acts and make each <laughs> act have its stakes big enough to carry its own book. A satisfying um, standalone story. So, so yeah. So that's a lot of where my headspace is right now is just revising that and, and trying to get that to my agent. Um, Can you tell us Disney anything Master about Kiroskuro? 
Oh, yes, I can. I'm <laughs> I intrigued. Can <laughs> so it's a, it's a secondary world fantasy, and it's a kind of Italianate feeling, like Italian Renaissance. And so a lot of the research I did for this was uh, I read a lot about the de' Medici's, and I read a lot about... Um, you know, uh, Florence, and I've read about the development of two-column accounting. Oh, wow. And because that was a huge development, it changed <laughs> economics completely for <laughs> ever. Uh, it's very important. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm intrigued about how you're going to make that a, a salient plot point. It doesn't actually get... It, it doesn't. It, there are no plot points related to two-column accounting. <laughs> the economics are really important because it basically it's... I took this kind of Mediterranean milieu and I was really interested because, you know, Historically, the Mediterranean was a hugely diverse milieu. There, there were uh, people from all over, um, you know, North Africa, from the the Near East, from uh, all you know, Northern and Southern Europe. It was a hugely diverse milieu, and so I am actually using that and making it much more diverse than we usually see in what we think of as like kind of historically based secondary world fantasy. Wonderful. Uh, so that's a that's been a lot of fun. I my kind of cultural structure, the underpinnings of the cultural understandings of this world are based on uh, alchemical systems. And so people are divided into castes and races based on kind of alchemical concepts rather than biological concepts. And so I had a lot of fun with that. <laughs> and like you said, you know, with the the economics, I actually made Benicchiaro, which is the, the city that this takes place in, is based on the economics of Gold Rush San Francisco. So you've got this this tiny little location that becomes a boom economy in a very short amount of time and a huge influx of people and the kind of chaos and disruption and, you know, opportunities that go along with that. What a great and, setting for a story. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> so it this did start out as a milieu story and um, I, I had to kind of wrench it into being a character story. And so it's... Basically, there's several different characters who discover that there's a, a threat to this kind of new booming city, and they all ha- come from different backgrounds and different understandings and different uh, motivations and end up having to kind of work together to stop it from uh, being destroyed by a incoming Imperial Navy. Ooh. So. Awesome. You know, <laughs> God, that sounds, ama- that sounds amazing. Awesome. Yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. And the word, of course, chiaroscuro. Just can say that all over the time, all the time. <laughs> I, I, I have a lot of fun with language, yeah. <laughs> as you should as a writer. One one must savor those those things you're throwing down on the page, by God. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so, chiaroscuro uh, and... <laughs> Because I'm working on that, the the next Missy book is on a little bit of a hiatus, um, but I am eager to get back to that eventually because I seem to have a running theme. The plot of the third book is going to be a time travel back to Gold Rush era California, San Francisco, <laughs> because I just can't get enough of Gold Rush era San Francisco. Apparently <laughs> not. Um, and kind of dealing with, you know, that and Samuel Brannan and uh, there's this apocryphal story. It is, there's, there's no proof that this actually happens, but that um, Samuel Brannan was a Mormon who brought out Mormon missionaries to California and Brigham Young was back in Utah and they got into some major disagreements and uh, that's true. And uh, the apocryphal side of it is that Brigham Young sent mercenaries to get... <laughs> 
money from Samuel Brannan for his Mormon church tithes. And Samuel Brannan sent out mercenaries to stop Brigham Young. And so you have the executioners from Samuel Branham, and you have Brigham Young's, I think they're the, the defending angels or something like that. Oh destroying angels. The destroying angels. And they meet <laughs> in the California desert and they duke it out. That's oh awesome. <laughs> so even though even though there's there's no historical proof that that happened, that is totally going to be happening. <laughs> Absolutely. That, that scene is it, happening. It Fighting mercenary Mormons in the desert, how can you not? Uh, <laughs> so that's a little spoiler. Okay, cool. <laughs> Friends, you heard it here first. <laughs> and... Uh, and so, yeah, so I'm doing that. And then uh, a couple of things that I have, the only thing I have coming out that's kind of big, although it's very exciting for me, is later this month, the um, Faces of Thetis, which is the Dragon Age supplement that has all the different characters from the games for the, the, uh, for the role-playing game, is coming out. And I was one of the contributors to that. And I got to write some of my favorite characters. So I got to write uh, backgrounds for... Um, Queen Honora and Aveline and Wynne and Cullen and Alistair. And since I romanced both of those characters in the game, I was so excited to be able to write them. <laughs> God, your life is awesome. Holy crap. It's pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's fabulous. What uh, what conventions will you be attending in the coming years or year? Uh, so, so it's, it's going to be pretty quiet because I... I am saving up my vacation time at work because in December I'm going to be in Japan and China for a month. Wow. Uh, which is very exciting for me. Um, and so because of that, that's like a month that I, I can't do anything else for the rest of my life. Uh, but in March, I'm going to be doing FogCon in San Francisco. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm part of the ConCom. Um, I'm way behind on updating the website. And <laughs> so I'll be doing that. But uh, Andrea Harrison is going to be one of our guests of honor. And I love her work. And I love watching her as a speaker. She's amazing. Right. So I'm very excited to get to kind of go there and, and be in her, you know, aura. <laughs> in uh, space. And, yeah. yeah. And then in April, I'm going to be at the at ICFA, the International Conference for the Fantastic in the Arts, which is in uh, Orlando, Florida. And uh, there's the there's se- a lot of really cool people who go there, like cool yeah, writers and yeah. academics. That's um, the second time be- I've heard that mentioned on this podcast. We might have to check that out, Marie. Yeah, you I should agree. definitely check it out. It's amazing. It's it's uh, because it's kind of a mix of academics who study science fiction and then pros who write it. It's going to be a little set like bittersweet this year because Brian Aldiss was the uh, oh. the kind of grandfather. Like he was constant every year that he was there he was the guest and so because he passed you know only a week or two ago i think right. yeah. uh he's he's not going to be there and it's going to be sad I, I i i got to hear him complain at length about things that i can't talk about now because it's a pg podcast <laughs> <laughs> but you can you can beat me out but he was talking about norfians and so southians <laughs> Uh, and it was it was really funny, and so that's my memory of of him is him you know being you know ranting at the breakfast table. <laughs> curmudgeon that he was, and had earned his curmudgeon stripes. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome, very cool. I will make sure all of that gets into the liner notes uh, list so that people can follow up on all of the cool stuff that you're working on. Marie, real quick, what do you got coming up? Uh, I've got, I'm going to be at New York Comic Con. Uh, awesome. So there. I think I'll be there the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. 
Uh, and then I'm going to be at CanCon in Ottawa, which uh, I'm also part of the, I'm one of the co-chairs there and it's, it's going to be completely awesome. So if you've never checked out CanCon, please do so. Yeah. And uh, we're going to have Steve Erickson, uh, Sheila Gilbert from Da and Kim May Kirkland from the Howard Mayhem Agency. Uh, it's it's awesome. And then I'm going to also be at World Fantasy in Ooh. San Antonio. Ooh, lovely. So it's going to be a busy fall. It is, and you're going to head south. You're going to be you're going to be in the deep, deep uh, Texas Texas world there. I have to to get any warmth. We've had the, one of the <laughs> coldest winters in like recorded history, summers in recorded histories. I need warmth. It my doesn't friend. bode. It doesn't bode well for your winter ensuing. Winter is coming. <laughs> <laughs> winter had never left i don't think (laughs) (laughs) uh well that's that's that is an impressive roster uh and i will make sure that that gets into the liner notes as well very cool all right Here's what I'd like to do now. Um, I'm going to give a pause uh, to promote uh, our, our sponsor for the Archivos Podcast Network, Archivos, the story development and presentation tool for today's storytellers. But then once we wrap that up, Alice, Marie, I would love to brainstorm a story with you guys. What do you say? Let's do it. Ah. I'm in. All right. <laughs> we have an accord. It's totally going to happen. Friends, don't you go anywhere. We will be right back. Archivos. The new story development application from WonderThing Studios will change the way you look at stories. Archivos takes a different approach to documenting your story setting. While most wikis and storytelling frameworks focus on documenting the elements of your stories, Archivos is more interested in the connections between those story elements. It's the relationships between characters and places and events that express the true structure and allure of your stories. As a storyteller, that's the awareness you need to strengthen and refine the crafting of your stories. Archivos really is the story development tool for today's storytellers. Learn more about Archivos at www.archivos.digital. That's A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot digital. Archivos. Your stories illuminated. Welcome back, dear friends, and now it's time to get down to the business at hand. The reason you're here, the reason we're here, the story brainstorm. And that doesn't happen without a bold and courageous, a creative and courageous guest writer striding boldly to the slightly less comfortable writer's chair here in the Archivos Virtual Studios. Uh, And friends, our guest writer for this episode lives in Tennessee but not on purpose. Uh, in addition <laughs> to pursuing the writerly arts, uh, uh, he produces and co-hosts the fabulous Melting Podcast, which may be the only writing variety show podcast in existence and well worth your time, dear friends. His other pseudonyms include the Chain Nerd, owing to the radiant and deeply nerdy chainmail creations that he prolificates into the world. Uh, his fictional work includes the Dead Studies series, which are the misadventures of assassin Luc Betrand, and is up to book four on the shelves. Is that correct? Book four comes out September 4th, 2017. Yeah. Ah, that would be the pre order I saw. Very good. And Star Signs released last December, uh, the latter of which is distinguished in many ways, but not the least of which is that it was brainstormed three years ago on this very podcast, making our guest writer one of those rare and wondrous beasts, a knight of the round table. 
podcast. Dear friends, please welcome to the writer's chair here at the Archivos Podcast Network, August Graffin. August, my friend, this podcast kind of really kind of brought us together. Uh, but since then, stories and podcasts have, have woven us together. And I know for a fact that no matter how many times you pitch your story, it's it's never it's never a, an easy process. Uh, so I appreciate your, your bold courage and cojones for stepping up, man. We appreciate it. I'm like a bad rash. You can't get rid of me. And why would we want to, really? I mean, the itching, it's its a small price to pay for your charm and, and your wit, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good oh, to be back. It's good to have you back, man. its It's been far too long. And, of course, always a pleasure to welcome back a knight. Uh, to the to the writer's chair. So, and let's get down to that. Let's let's explore the 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 wonder of the story that you have brought forth for brainstorming goodness. You know how this works, Gus. We give you five to eight minutes. You give us the the title, the genre, the format, the audience, uh, a tagline. Introduces to the themes of the story, the world of the story. Uh, uh, introduces to the characters. Give us the tent poles of the story that you're envisioning, and we will be off to the brainstorming races. Uh, I'm. That's it. I got nothing else. Uh, Sir, the mic is all yours. Well, since you asked so nicely, uh, (laughs) the the working title for this project is Faithful. It is a fantasy novel targeted towards adults, maybe the older end of uh, YA. The tagline is an aging missionary returns to his home country only to discover the god he's worshipped his entire life has been killed. And as one of the last priests faithful to that god, he is now targeted to be sacrificed. The theme is remaining true to your beliefs while being tested. A little background on our setting, the country is called Anithia. It's a theocracy that's been balanced by two gods, Azel and Nixa. They are a brother and sister, and each has both a high priest and priestess in power, giving us a four-member primary government. Uh, Both of the deities are followed by separate religions that are mostly but not totally uh, separated along gender lines. There are priestesses for Azel and priests to Nixa. They're uncommon but not unheard of. A little bit on the gods real quick. Zell is the god of tradition and law. He's very much a father figure. He's particular about the vows his priests take and is known to gently prod his followers into behaving, but he's not afraid to punish them after repeated offenses. Um, Even so, he's gentle to those who are not sworn to him, and he welcomes anyone who wishes to follow him. Nixa is predominantly the goddess of life and fertility, and she celebrates all things that grow and nurture, but she is also the goddess of defense and protection. She's kind of a a formidable mother bear. She doesn't like having lost her brother, um, but she is more concerned with protecting her people than actively defying the usurper who has taken its place. Our characters, our main protagonist is uh, Wit. He's a lifelong priest, currently in his mid-50s. At a young age, he was given to the temple along with his sister. 30 years ago, he left the country to preach to foreigners and has now only finally returned. He is determined to find his sister after so long. Now learning that his god is dead and that priests like him are ostracized or even killed, he fears for his life. Our secondary protagonist is Hope. He is 20 and another priest of Azel. He's the only survivor of one of the last churches to the god. He has doubts about whether it's worth remaining faithful to Azel, since the god is dead after all, or if he should convert to worship the new god Cade. 
our primary antagonist is Cade, the new god who has orchestrated the death of his predecessor and taken over part of the country's faith. He's replaced the high priest and priestess with his own followers and has ordered all former priests sacrificed. While he can speak to his followers, he does not take direct action on the world, so he works to those devoted to him. Moving on to the story. Our inciting incident. Wit has crossed the border into Anithia. He spent the last 30 years abroad in the world as a missionary preaching a zeal to foreigners. It was an assignment directly from the gods spoken to him in dreams while he was still a young man. Now in his 50s, he's finally come home, finished with his life's work. He hopes he's going to be free to find his twin sister, Ava, who he hasn't seen since they were nine. Their parents gave Wit and Ava to the two respective churches, partly to curry favor with the deities and partly to get rid of a couple of greedy mouths. In the mountains, Wit comes across a monastery devoted to Azel. Knowing he'll be welcome among his brothers, he approaches. Inside, though, he discovers a grisly massacre. The brothers are dead, one hung in the sanctuary, others disemboweled in their chambers. In blood and feces on one wall, the word Cade is written. Baffled because he's not familiar with the word, Wit searches for survivors. He comes across Hope, a young priest who hid in a refuse pile during the attack. Hope is the one that tells Wit that their god is dead and was replaced by Cade, a vicious, bloodthirsty deity who has put prices on the heads of the Azel faithful. Most of the common people at this point have converted to Cade or to Nixa. The high priest and priestess of Azel are dead or missing. Uh, moving on to the main body plot elements. Hope and Wit do a tally of corpses and find that not all the brothers are accounted for. Some have probably gotten away rather than being killed. With no one else to turn to, Hope joins Wit as he makes for the capital. Wit still wants to find his sister in the Great Temples, especially now in this turbulent time, and Hope hopes to find his lost brothers along the way. Wit has his doubts that Azel is truly dead, but it definitely would explain a lot. While he never got true, direct answers to his prayers, he did experience intense migraines whenever he towed the line in keeping his vows. Those migraines stopped some time ago. Still unconvinced, he is determined to get answers. On the road, the two priests run across a band of Cade followers who have captured some of Hope's uh, monastery brothers. They watch the brothers get sacrificed and know what awaits them if they're captured. Wit decides that for their protection, they can lie about their faith despite their vows. It's his first step into willfully denying his faith. Uh, Wit and Hope come to villages where people have lost sons and husbands accused of being loyal to Azel. While the people long for the gentler god, they cannot openly go against the violence of Cade's followers. What aid they do offer Wit and Hope is secretive, risky, and cannot be counted on. Um, at length, our priests come to a convent to Nixa and are welcomed in. Obviously, they're lying about who they are and find out they're just in time for the fertility festival. That's some fun times. <laughs> uh, during the festivities, a band of bounty hunters who capture and turn in a zeal faithful for monetary reward arrive. Despite their best efforts, Wit and Hope are found out and captured. On the road, more of Cade's followers attack the bounty hunters wanting to sacrifice their prisoners for themselves. During the skirmish, Wit escapes, but Hope is left with the bounty hunters. Bound by his vows, he tends their wounds after the battle and helps them recover, even though they still plan to turn him in to die. During this, Hope learns that a member of the bounty hunters was formerly a Nixa priestess, and he figures out that she is Wit's twin sister. After 40-plus years, with the lies and false names and such, they didn't recognize one another. Well, now he has to reunite them. It turns out the bounty hunters really aren't all that bad. They don't actually hate the Azel faithful, and they're not the ones killing them. They're just in it for the money. So he continues with the bounty hunters to head toward the capital. 
Wit, on his own, journeys on, determined to catch up with Hope and rescue him, even though he's lost the trail. Since they were headed for the capital, he continues his charade as anything but a priest and gets transported there himself. At this point, this is where a lot of what I used to have got overcomplicated and needs to be squared away. I had a subplot where Hope and the bounty hunters found the missing high priestess of Azel still alive. And there was more with the last of Hope's monastery brothers, which is a plot I do need to resolve. And of course, the final end game. I also had a subplot with the head of the bounty hunters in a romantic subplot with Wit. And that is not necessary and can go if it's too much. Um, Cade does need to take more of an active role in stopping the last of the faithful priests um, because he cannot truly take his place as a ruling god until every last person sworn to his L is gone. Uh, for the end game, my initial plans are that Wit and Ava are reunited thanks to Hope. And of course, there has to be tragedy. They learn this just before the final confrontation with Cade. Uh, during which Ava sacrifices herself. I had a thought that maybe as part of our protagonist's way to fight back, Hope ends up converting to Cade, and as part of his conversion, he has to sacrifice a human, and Ava volunteers. That conversion gives Hope some power over Cade, or something. Um, This also gives us some betrayal elements, since things always get worse before they get better. It's even worse if it wasn't part of this plan. Uh, in the end, we discover that Cade is not actually a different god altogether. He is Azel, who has grown so tired of being misquoted, misinterpreted, and basically trapped in his existence that he wanted to reinvent himself, hence the Cade persona. It's possible it's an alternate personality or an evolution. Either way, both cannot exist at once, but I don't necessarily want to go with the cliche of the two internal sides warring with each other, and I don't want him to be bordering insanity if that can be helped. Uh, In the end, what it all boils down to is Wit's faith. If we go with the hope conversion thing, it leaves Wit as the last of the faithful priests to Azel, and this is his final test. Does he restore his god or end him in hopes that being victorious might make Cade settle down? Or does he cling to his many broken vows and try to redeem himself? Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. Wow. There's there's a lot of story food there, dude. Real quick before we dive into this, what are you hoping to get out of the next half hour or so of brainstorming? Mostly, I need to solidify the end game. Uh, I'm the beginning. I feel is solid. Honestly, it's once I get to that crux of getting them into the capital and confronting things that is just where everything where I lose it. Okay. Okay, I, I'm sure we have some ideas on that. Uh, uh, in fact, I'm fairly confident about that. But <laughs> before we proceed, we do need to to cover our butts, as it were. Uh, and Marie, would you be so kind as to as to offer the 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 revised but patented Archivos Podcast <laughs> Network disclaimer, please? I would, I would, because I enjoy the PG-13 version of this disclaimer. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> All right, Gus. You're about to experience a veritable deluge of ideas, insights, and inspirations. It's important you realize that everything said from this point forward by myself, Dave, or Elise might be complete hornswaggle. (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting for doo-doo or (laughs) poo-poo. Hornswaggle, we say. (laughs) So this is your story, Gus, and you decide what to use it and what to cast aside. And we say hornswaggle. Is that okay? I will, I will sort through the horn swaggle. The horn sort through the horn swaggle. Well done, sir. <laughs> awesome. Very cool. All right. So uh, let's dive into this. And we always start with a quick once around the table to just identify uh, uh, immediate high.
high points of interest and ask any questions of clarification. We always start with our guest host. So, Alyssa Helms, please do start us off. What did you think of Gus's pitch and, and what questions of clarification do you have? Throwing me on the sacrificial altar first, I get it. That's right. Um, <laughs> yes. it's, it's there. We might as well use it, right? Uh, absolutely. Well, so first off, I I like fantasy that deals with religion. And so I'm, I'm very excited about that because I think probably because we come from a predominantly monotheistic society and the most we ever encounter, especially in fantasy, about gods is, you know, the kind of uh, D&D-ish version of it, it feels like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I shouldn't say I like fantasy that deals with religion. I like fantasy that deals with faith, right? Because right. faith is something that is, you know, it's, it is one of those universal things, right? Even, uh, and I myself am agnostic bordering on atheism, but even atheists have a certain kind of faith about their belief system, right? And so I, I think that you, you're touching on a universal constant, and that's always a great place to be on, on in a story. Um, and so I'm I'm excited to see you know how you're kind of developing this this uh, religious structure, and uh, that your main character is a man of faith who is struggling with it, and who is older so he's not even like a young kid who's like just thinking about these things for the first time but he's had a lot of time and given that he's been a missionary elsewhere one imagines a lot of pushback on his faith uh and that's actually where my first kind of questions start coming in is regarding uh, on the one hand your world building and on the other hand uh his personal experiences and how they're driving him because when i think of missionaries you know there's uh you you you've been given a task by like specifically by your god has given you a task to go out and do this uh, which is going to help you have a lot of faith if your god's talking to you directly but how did like my question is how did his um time out elsewhere in other places where there were presumably other belief systems and people who were like azel who uh <laughs> you know how did that affect his his faith and cause him to have these questions because i think in a lot of ways those you know he's coming back as an as an as an alien as an outsider to a place that used to be familiar to him and i think those his ability to see from the outside what a lot of people inside are just so wrapped up in that they can't get an external view um is really interesting and important and i i would be interested to see how those experiences are driving him through his crisis and whatever choices he's making. And that's obviously an execution, but those are, that's one of the questions I have. The other question I have is regarding your world building. You had said that Cade can only become the God if there are no more believers of Azel, but you've got a character who's out, been out missionizing for the past 30 years. There are going to be believers of Azel outside of this country. How does that work? So those are my two questions. That's a great question. <laughs> I love questions like that. Great question. Next question, please. <laughs> Gus, any thoughts on that? I'm sure I could bull, you know, bullcrab or hornswoggle something. Um, I'm sure I could come up with something involving, you know, his power being within the theocracy. That's where the hub of of everything is. But uh, yeah, let us, let us let us chew on that a bit. I, I think it's a valid point. And, yes. and I think we can I think we can roll with it. And maybe as we explore different models and possibilities, we might actually be able to incorporate it in in some way. 
So, very cool. Um, Marie, your first impressions of Gus's pitch and any questions you have. Certainly. Uh, so, I, I also enjoy faith-based books. So, this is a lot of fun. I think that there's a lot of good um, good meat to chew on, which is lovely. Uh, holy, holy meat, the best kind. <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> I had a couple of like some things kept kind of throwing me out and just bringing more questions than I was getting but one of the big ones that I had was because wit is so um, faithful and, and that's part of, that's really the whole story arc that's his whole drive is that he believes and even when he's questioned he's probably formed all of these defenses by now or or understanding because he's had to debate and do the missionizing and all that so he's solid in his faith but I feel like, um, you know, he was given up to the temple at age nine. He's missing his sister, which is the first thing he goes to get, even though that was kind of the mark of his life before his faith. So I had a hard time kind of reconciling those two uh, elements uh, myself. And also the fact that he used to get migraines from the God, but now he doesn't. It, it, it skirted close to me where I was like, ooh, Stockholm Syndrome, awesome, which which can work. I'm not saying it can't work. <laughs> I'm just asking you to think whether or not that's what you intended. For it no. To um, uh, no. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't intend it. Um, with the migraines disappearing and them him doubting, what I originally intended when I planned this out is that he just figures he's been away from the main influence of Azel for so long that he thinks he's, you know, kind of out of range. Okay. Um, I hadn't really gone much deeper than that, but that okay. was kind of my initial thought. Okay. okay. That's a good, uh, that's a good thought. And I had, I had one question um, about the timing of the beginning. Like by the time he gets to the monastery and everybody's kind of slaughtered and there's feces everywhere and stuff, yeah, that's um, <laughs> which is awesome. <laughs> um <laughs> is um like has it been a long time or not because i mean hope is still hiding there and i'm thinking he would have been like getting the hell out of there because it, it seemed to me for a beginning it seemed convenient if it had just happened while he's getting there like if the bodies were cold or if they were still warm and if hope would have been there or not or why he would have been there there could be a good reason but i wasn't sure why hope was still there um it the the attack itself did happen recently as in like within the last day, possibly even within the last 12 hours. And the brothers that the Cademan did see run off, they went after, which is why the monastery is completely abandoned. And originally I had it where the sacrifice that Wit and Hope see does happen very quickly afterwards, after they meet, because everybody is in such a close proximity at that point. So it's just really bad timing on Wit's part. Okay, that that's a bit just. I'm just gonna throw it out there, but that's a bit convenient after mm-hmm. 30 years or so away. Mm-hmm. So, um, but there could be good reasons for that, and I'm sure we'll discuss some of that and awesome stuff. But uh, <laughs> those were my my main questions. Thank you, thank yeah. you very much for the pitch. Yeah, yeah, good stuff, Gus. Definitely yeah. good stuff. And I, you know, I'm gonna pick up the the same thread, and probably gonna be a thread that we explore uh, uh, at great length. And the notion I've always been fascinated by the relationship between worshippers and deities. Uh, uh, and the notion of a theocracy built around these two monolithic uh, and very iconic, you know, the masculine and the feminine forms uh, uh, is is intriguing. And the idea of a God uh, changing, I mean, gods are supposed to be eternal. Gods are supposed to be this, this cornerstone of existence around which we mayflies of humanity live and die and, and flock around. So the idea of a cornerstone of existence changing 
is profoundly interesting to me. Um, and as I'm always looking for when working with stories, if that is the, the cornerstone of what has happened, then it probably needs to exist in your protagonist as well. And Alyssa, thank you so much for invoking where he was and the changes that that missionary uh, uh, existence of the last, what, 30 years, you say, Gus? Yeah. 30 years of being outside of your homeland and, and rubbing up against other cultures, other faiths, and, and the trials and challenges thereof. Um, I, I think wit is rife to be the human personification of Azel. Have him come in with his faith broken and have it be a struggle to restore that faith and thus possibly restore the God. That was, that was just a thought that occurred to me. What does wit want is my question. He, as he is right now, let's forget everything I just said. He comes back. He's, he sees this. He, what does he want? Not in terms of, you know, finding his sister and so on and so forth. Big picture stuff. What, what is he, what is he striving for through this story? What I originally had is, you know, he has been so long gone from his home country that he feels like he has completely lost all touch with who he was and that being a missionary and essentially coerced into it by his God has, you know, it took over 30 years of his life, more than half of it. So essentially he's trying to find out who he is and the, you know, the oldest link he has to that is his sister. Okay. So it does tie back to her, but he's trying to find out who he is on his own. Okay, that's 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 more helpful. That's a much stronger uh, uh, goal uh, for him. Um, I asked the same question of Cade. What does Cade want? Kill all the Azel worshippers. I want to be a god. And then what? I haven't figured that one out yet. Okay, all right. <laughs> We we need we need a protagonist that has or an antagonist. We need both protagonists and antagonists with, with clear goals. Yeah, uh, and they should be not should be, but they. I think it's a strong narrative choice to have them mirror, uh, perhaps darkly each other. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll put that out there. Uh, let's see. I had one other thing, uh, or maybe I didn't. Oh, just a contrast. Um, throughout the narrative, there is no godly manifestation. All we have is migraines that have gone away. Um, there's there's no indication of God's powers. There's a fertility ritual, but that's a ritual. Um, we don't see God's powers on the earth. And yet in the climax, there is a confrontation with a God. I think that's mm -hmm. going to be a bit abrupt. Yeah. I think you're going to need to incorporate tangible. I think you're going to have to have Nixa show up at some point and show that gods can walk under certain circumstances on the on the the, the material plane. And have that be part of the the goal for your end game is they need to confront Cade, and so they need to make these circumstances come about. Uh, uh, and through those, and that's obviously just a MacGuffin. Uh, through those circumstances, then it is where you refine their souls and test them for the things that they are truly striving for. So those those were my initial observations. Um, Alyssa, where do you want to start with this? Where do you want to start uh, uh, grinding away and exploring uh, uh, possibilities to turn this bad boy into some gold? <laughs> well, I think for me, uh, kind of what you're saying about hammering out both what Azel slash Cade, where he's coming from and what he wants and why he's doing this and Wit, where he's coming from, what he wants and why he's doing this, because uh, those seem to be and like you said, yeah, having them be a, a, a kind of reflection, a parallel of each other, that seems to be the core of, of both the conflict and where we can lead to resolution. So that's the place I'm most interested in. And 
kind of related to that, again, getting back to the world building and just trying to make it make sense to me. And this might be stuff you've worked out that just didn't get into the pitch. But kind of figuring out, like, why is the religion set up with this kind of gender binary? And why does Nixa, who's supposed to be a goddess of protection, not seem to be protecting her brother's people? And, you know, why does Wit's sister, who is dedicated to Nixon is supposed to be protecting, but she's taking priests and giving them up for sacrifice, which I know you said they're not as bad as you think, but I think giving people up for sacrifice is pretty bad. That's pretty bad. Yeah. For money, so, yeah. no less. Um, and particularly the, the, the kind of question that, that fascinates me is um, for Azel. Uh, you said, you know, he's he's really pissed off because he's been misrepresented and he's tired of it. So he wants to remake himself and become Cade. How is what he has become as Cade truer to who he is than what he feels like was being ignored? And I ask that because what you've got me hooked on is Azel slash Cade seems like a textbook toxic masculinity. And <laughs> if you're going to have a religion based on gender binary where the male god, like, goes wacko and starts killing everyone. Uh, that seems like a pretty good theme of toxic masculinity critiquing it. Yeah. I don't know if that's your intent, but that seems like it's there. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Marie, what are your thoughts? Uh, I, I loved all of that. Yeah. I was, I was curious about uh, the religion, the, the binary as well, because the, and throughout the story too, that was one of the things I noted too, that the, uh, the women, very much take the back seat and yeah, just there are no women yeah. characters that are mm-hmm. that serve any significance in the narrative or do yeah. anything yeah um, originally the head of the bounty hunters was but like i said her subplot ended up kind of dying so i, I know that is somewhere i do need to shore things up well i i have a suggestion about that uh one thing that i noticed throughout all of this is while Azel is going through this personality crisis and and transforming and, and articulating male toxicity. Uh, uh, <laughs> Nixa is doing nothing. She's just hanging out, you know. I'm, just, I'm and it's like she's she's not the protective mother bear anymore. I would I would suggest the possibility, um, and this this actually might help. In the very beginning, when when uh, uh, Hope explains what's going on to to Wit when he finds him, uh, uh, my my info dump flag went off. And it's like whoa, info dump. Um, I'm I'm wondering if Wit were to discover the attack happening or comes into the mm-hmm. aftermath and and the mercenaries are still there or the the Cade followers are still there and and perpetuating their crimes and basically he's he just came back and oh my god this is horrible i must defend my brethren in in spite of the odds uh because it's what you do as an Azel worshiper even stupid though it may be uh <laughs> and and have a nixia contingent come in and defend them and bind and have a Nixia priestess part of this this triumvirate that you've got with hope and wit. And that way you can get that other perspective of a functional deity in play. And you might also that also might be an opportunity to to bring in some some more overt godly presence uh, along those lines. What what do you think of that? That would take a lot of reconfiguring the chemistry between adding in that third person, but I like the idea. Okay, I put it on the table. I put it on the table, but I do. I I, I do think Nixa's presence needs to be more profoundly felt in the dynamic. Uh, and and I'm not yeah. saying that that 
you know, you don't want to give too many allies to your protagonist. Their, their challenge needs to be high, but it seems like all of the odds are stacked against them. And if we can introduce some kind of, I don't know, I'm, I'm like you guys, I'm kind of hung up on this, this binary force of, of, of the deities in here. So here's my question. What's the story reason for the gender split in the religions? Mm. Like, what story purpose does it serve? Good question. Uh, and a kind of a side question to that is, and this is, again, just a mechanics question of, you said that there's a high priest and high priestess for each god. Uh, where do they get the high priestess for Azel if there's not very many? So one would assume that, she, you know, there's not a large pool to choose from. And similarly with Nixa, uh, that's just a mechanic thing of like, well, you're going to have like a really, really good high priest and then a kind of a mediocre high priestess because you've only got five to choose from. Uh, but my <laughs> biggest question is, what's the story reason for the gender split? What does that serve you to do? I, I don't really have a story reason. Uh, that was just kind of how I developed the religion and I would be willing to re- rework it. I, I think that might not be a bad idea. Just, And I think if, if we look at the the heart of this story. I mean, the inciting incident is this, this schism, this crisis uh, that Azel undergoes. And if an identity crisis is at the core of what's happening in the larger world, then giving wit that same identity crisis, I think will help fuel and, mm. and define, and then gender ceases to be a, a factor and you can, you can un, unleash some of that, that polarity uh, as you, as you move forward. And I will say also, because another thing that I really love that I didn't mention before is I love siblings. I, 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 my brother and I are very close. I love brother sister narratives. I write them and everything I do. And so I really like that your kind of two core relationships are brother-sister the, between Nixon and Azel and also between Wit and his sister. And those are the emotional relationships that I'm invested in. And so developing those, like in terms of how Nixa feels and all of that. Very much yeah. so. Marie, what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I agree. I really like the brother-sister relationship. And Nixa, by having her take more, or her followers at least, take more of a predominant role, then we get that that godlike quality, which really makes the fantasy world come to life as well. Mm-hmm. And we also get, we get to feel who Azel was in a different way. Because let's say that Wit yeah. is having some kind of like, uh, Wit can't miss Azel the way that his sister would miss Azel. Mm-hmm. And there's power in seeing somebody through the eyes of somebody else, especially if they're off the page. Because Azel is not on the page for the whole manuscript script so we can see him differently and maybe understand why he's getting this personality schism by the end we could understand it more by the time the big reveal is because of of what his sister saw in him i like that i like that a lot that that becomes almost like a mystery at that point it's a psychological mystery of understanding because during those 30 years something must have happened Mm -hmm. And, and i've always kind of been a big advocate of uh, uh, while gods can can rain down their power upon the humans, that their worshippers affect the gods as well. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then it could be that Azel's crisis, his schism, was brought about in a shift in the people. Yeah. During those yeah. times, and then you 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 do this sort of this cultural archaeology. There's one for you, Alice. Uh, <laughs> of of Finding out what happened, and and so you you and now he, now we're starting to see a nice structure here. And 
Yeah, and we can add to that. His sister might be worried that the same thing could happen to her too, because yeah. she doesn't know, like she doesn't know what happened exactly to her brother, and how does it impact her? Can she even exist with him? Does she know? I mean, there could be a lot of questions. Well, and you can also bring uh, Wit's experience directly into relevance for this because he's been out you know, proselytizing missionary for the last 30 years. And one of the things that you get in missionary stories is that they have to take their belief system and they put it in parlance that they're the people that they're proselytizing to can understand. And so they come to a very different understanding of their religion because they keep having to retell it in different ways to people to make it seem logical to them or to make it seem like something familiar to them. And so wit coming back with this very different understanding of of Azel and what he is and, you know, could be the solution to right. Azel's own problem. Yes, I love yeah. that. And it brings in his experience. And and now and now and so wit can be the vessel through which the this transformation and maybe maybe this Cade uh, presence is is like a, a stage of evolution uh, that he's been thrust into through his worshippers changing and evolving over thirty years. And it's wit that can provide that that new perspective, that broader perspective that that will allow Azel to move on to the next stage, which is I don't know something else completely, something more more global. Global, more more embracing and more encompassing. And that's really and, cool too, because it can really bring in the fact that it might not just be coincidence that Witch shows up as the uh, Azel followers are all falling. It could be that he's actually been beckoned back. He just doesn't realize it until and later. And it could be coincidence. He didn't go in the first place. Wasn't coincidence. Azel knew that he was starting to have some mental issues, and he's like, "All oh. right, I got to start." I got to put this into place because I got to do something. He's I got to back something up. He's my, <laughs> yeah. he's my fail safe. He, I know yeah. I'm going to go. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. Gus, what do you think? I had that thought like two minutes ago when you were talking. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> that's like he did cool. that on purpose. That son of a gun. Yeah. And, and, and now you've God got this. should be like that. Exactly. Gods are, they, they need to have at least some semblance of, of farsight and if not omnipotence. So yeah, that's very cool. And now you've got this very cool structure evolving. So act one becomes a much smaller story. Wit must find his sister. And have Act 1 be finding the sister. Get her into that narrative at the end of Act 1 in some way. Have her actively looking. I I love that, Alyss. That that she would be out there looking for him. Or no, Marie, you brought that up. What's she doing? Yeah, I think it's Marie. And and, having Ava being a more proactive and and, uh, self-empowered individual. Stepping out. You know, if, if... if Wit has risen so high that he's, you know, he's this missionary that's gone for 30 years, have Ava have elevated in the in the order as well. But but having her then find Wit uh, uh, in some empowered way at the end of Act 1, now Act 2 is, what the heck do we do? Uh, uh, this is crazy. We and, and I could see them saying, let's just get the heck out of here. And seeing the horror uh, that this... This manifestation of Cade has has wrought and having wit go through his dark time of the soul and then come out the other side realizing, no, I will not allow this to happen. Uh, and 
you just made me think while you were talking too, because while we're talking coincidences and plans, godly plans, you know, yes. if uh, as help plan to have wit become kind of his fail safe, he might have also, if we take away the binary reasons, so that the fact that Ava was not put in the same order as wit suddenly becomes a question, right? Like why weren't the two nine-year-olds? Well, he could have planned that she would go to be with his sister for another, like he could have actually thought we need these two, they'll find each other again. And they each have like, they're each part of a fail safe system or something like, I don't know. I like that. Idea. Yeah, because he, Wit has the piece of, here's a new, wider, more global understanding of, of Azel slash Cade. And Ava has the piece of, I know what Nixon knows about what's gone on with him. Right. And so right. they can come together and bring those two pieces together. Nice. Yeah. Well, and if yeah. you have access to that information. And if, yeah. the, if, the, if the country is very insular and very judgmental mm. and very everybody else is wrong and we are right, that, that leads to this, this feed, in, internal feeding thing that would lead to a crisis of culture that, yeah. and, and a schism like that. So, yeah. yeah. Cool. Awesome. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, baby literary gold. Well, look, I'm, I'm watching the clock uh, uh, tick down here. Why don't we, why don't we, uh, actually real quick, Gus, is there anything you'd like us to dive into uh, uh, before, in these final minutes before we start wrapping things up? No. <laughs> <laughs> now, now that we've rewritten your story and, and changed but, the oh landscape. My, no, but- but oh my God, guys, seriously. <laughs> or oh my gods, you know, because there's two of them. That's right. <laughs> yeah. We are working with the Pantheon after all. Very good. Well, let's go ahead and then roll into that final phase, which is our, our once around of the table one last time. And and uh, give give Gus any any thoughts that you might have had that you didn't get to bring out in the brainstorm proper, any ideas or, or things to, to guide him as he goes forward to, to rot this fabulous, fabulous tale. Um, Alice, you're used to being thrown onto the sacrifice official altar first so we'll lead off with you ma'am uh so the only other thing and just didn't mention this because it wasn't where the conversation was going but um the the whole idea about uh uh wit finished with his life work he's 50s finished with his life work i i i'm approaching that age and i know (laughs) other people you do not feel finished here's the secret that older people will not tell you you always feel 20 just a wiser more experienced 20 and so just taking that kind of concept and playing with it of he can have that experience and all that time and everything, but I, like I, it just hit me wrong. The whole finish with his life work. Nah, he's got tons of stuff to do. Yep. <laughs> yeah, speaking as a person who recently turned fifty-four, I can I can affirm that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, we, I feel like such a baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we're going to enlighten you and illuminate you into the ways of of the sage and the crone, old bean. So very good, uh, Marie. Your final thoughts for Gus. Um, I I think you've got something solid. I, I like the idea of the different threads that you can really build into it. Uh, there's one thing because you are working with gods, and we did talk about a god that would seed all of these things and make it kind of a predestination model, mm. is be careful that it doesn't become too convenient to mm-hmm. use so that the predestination message can be that you can make your own choices still because your characters still need that agency yeah. while you're playing with yeah. it. Sure. And and there could even be like this this momentary vision of, you know, you're at the crossroads and and if he chooses not to intervene, that mm-hmm. this is this is the outcome. And and Azel will continue to evolve, but without that that wisdom that that wit could add to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Something cool. like that. I like that. I like that a lot. 
For myself, Gus, I, I'm going to affirm the, the world building aspect. What a shock. I'm into the world building. Um, but but making sure that the culture, uh, uh, the economy, uh, uh, the politics, uh, the and, and all of that reflects whatever pantheon or, or religion uh, uh, that you affirm uh, and and becomes that that uh, terrain, I guess, that that wit and hope and hopefully Ava uh, uh, have to navigate to understand what has happened uh, uh, so that the, the the audience, the reader can enjoy that same unraveling of the mystery, that deepening and richening of the culture that was that 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 manifested this. And then the, the hope and excitement, because now they're emotionally invested, not just in these characters, but in the world that these characters are moving through. Uh, and then that final conflict, now it has meaning, now it has relevance, and, and everybody's invested, characters and readers alike. So, so make sure that your world building supports your story, your characters, and the, the, the structure that you're trying to unfold is as much as possible. So that's, that's, wow, holy smokes. Okay, Gus, uh, <laughs> here's the deal. Um, in past days, we would dangle the carrot of the knighthood uh, uh, before you, but you would have to go out and, and finish this book and get it out in the world first. But the, the Archivos Podcast Network takes a very different view of, of how we can support and help our writers moving forward. So all guest writers and Alyss guest hosts on the Archivos Brainstorm podcast will be receiving a free year of Archivos subscription, allowing you to create unlimited story settings in the Archivos story development platform. Now, Gus, you're already a beta tester. Yeah. So you're already in. So I will be extending to you a coupon code for a free year of Archivos that you may then bestow upon anyone you choose. And you can be the purveyor of wonder, wonder and awesomeness uh, to some lucky friend or colleague. Cool with that? I've got someone in mind already. <laughs> awesome. Very cool. Uh, very cool. Gus, dude. <sighs> We don't have brainstorms with that much squee and excitement and jumping around unless we've got a good foundation to build on. You definitely brought the gold and I deeply appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. <laughs> Indeed. We try and make it that way. We definitely try. Uh, Alice, I'm, I'm so glad we were able to get you onto the show. And and as, as I expected, it was delightful and wonderful. You brought your unique perspectives and, and your aesthetic and your rigor of craft to the brainstorm and made it fabulous, man. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And thank you, Gus, for letting us kind of tear into that. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> and I'm very excited to see what you do with it. Yes. Yes, we all are. Absolutely. Yes. And Marie Brillado, my co-host, as always, uh, we, we, have, we have entered into the Brainstorm Arena and emerged draped in gold once again. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, ma'am. Thank you. That was brilliant. It really was. It really was. It's, I don't know how this works, but it's, there's just sort of, sort of magic. When you get four people working a creative thing together, that's that's when this alchemy occurs. It's a it's a, an astonishing thing. I have absolutely no control over it. So there we go. <laughs> Everybody brings their different ingredients and we all throw them in the pot and things explode. It's there great. we go. It's like a melting <laughs> podcast. Oh, wait. No, hold on. That's, that's already taken. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, friends, as long as we're doling out the gratitude, thank you for hitting that play button. You are the reason why we do this. Otherwise, it's, you know, four people on a Skype line talking story is great. But now you got to play in this same froth, this same sandbox of creativity and exploration. And if you caught the fire, the sparks, the gold that was going on, if now your story creative juices are flowing, Feel free to, to spread the word about that. Let the world know about the Archivos Podcast Network. Uh, uh, write a review about us on iTunes, uh, blog about us, share a Facebook post or a tweet. Let the world know that the Archivos Podcast Network is fomenting awesomeness in the creative world. And once again, <laughs> the temperature in the studio has gone up about 10 degrees. I am sweating, <laughs> as I always do at the end of these things. But I will tell you, friends... Like a phoenix from the ashes in in a mere 14 days, we will rise again with another fabulous guest host pouring wisdom into our ears, a courageous guest writer setting the table for a brainstorming feast, more Archivos Podcast Network goodness for all. But that's like two weeks, and it's a long mm-hmm. time. I know, I know. Mm-hmm. Marie, help us out. What, what, what can our listeners do between now and oh, 14 days from now uh, to, to make that time fruitful and productive that is a really really tough thing i know i'm going to say that i don't know where you are in the world if you are in an area like i am then you are reaching the changing of the seasons and someday my friends though it is difficult right now to fathom history will remember this time as as years bashed together to form one sentence in a dusty old history book, probably read on a tablet now that I think about it. But <laughs> but as the seasons change right now, there are these multiple thousands of tiny things changing around you every single second. And go out there and try to capture some of that with some of your words. And don't forget when you write, because you will write, that those moments, those tiny things that change daily for us, that history and our friends and nobody else will ever see or know are what make your books magic. So go on and capture and enjoy. Wow. Holy. (laughs) Wow. We, We are agents of immortality. That's what it's you, all this talk of God. Well, yeah, there you go. But you're right. I mean, as soon as you write something down and put it out in the world, it, it achieves a, a level of immortality. Exactly. So you have deified us, Marie. Thank you. Thank you so much. There Thank you, you go. Go out, go out and be a literary god, y'all. That's, that's the <laughs> commandment from the Archivos Podcast Network. And I will tell you, friends, although feels pale by comparison as i always do that you find what you're looking for so look for that top shelf blue label goodness look for the missing present at the back of the christmas tree the loose change in the sofa look for those wonders in the world and if you look for them my friends you will find them i promise you we'll be back in 14 days until then you guys stay cool you stay frothy and you stay awesome and we'll talk to you soon Bye-bye. This episode of Archivos Brainstorms is copyright 2017 by WonderThing Studios and is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, Sharealike 4.0 International License. To find out what that means and how you can use this content in your own presentations, visit www.creativecommons.org. 
Theme music for this episode of Archivos Brainstorms was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation, or just learn more about the Archivos Podcast Network, visit our website at www.archivos.digital and click the podcast link. That's A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot digital. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast and on Twitter at Writers Podcast. And you can always email us at podcast at archivos.digital. Thanks for listening.